Hello and welcome to this edition of the Kill Germ podcast. This podcast is a little bit different to usual um, because I've not just got one guest, I'm treated by two guests today. With me virtually, I have Daniel Lightfoot and Dr. Matt Davies. Matt is the technical manager here at Kill Germ and Dan is the UK business manager at Syngenta. And we're here to speak about Rydmus Alpha, a new rodenticide brought to the market by Syngenta. So Dan, why have Syngenta actually brought Rydmus Alpha to market? Hi, Eden. Look, thanks. I think one of my jobs as business manager for the Syngenta pest control business is to really try and understand the needs of the PCO first and really understand what the market's looking for, where the market's going. Maybe not now, but or you do need to know it now, but really where it's going in the future and how we see it developing. And so although Syngenta's probably been synonymous with Bradificum products like in the Talon range, I really feel that going forward, there is real need for maybe a more integrated pest management approach. We're looking at a variety of, of approaches to mean that we reduce the amount of active ingredient in kind of in the marketplace, as it were. But also, I think that we need to just look at the right strategies and also um, what are the best active ingredients going forward. So we did all of this analysis. And while we're really keen to make sure that we you know get the right information out around the Bradificum products, I thought it was really important for us to deliver an alpha chlorolose product into the portfolio i think it gives the pco much more choice and in certain situations which i imagine matt's going to talk about later it gives the pco real opportunity to kind of um, have a really good integrated pest management approach so we worked really hard for a long time to design the right product and bring it to market and yeah rhythmus alpha was launched at the beginning of february and we're absolutely delighted matt i'll throw to you there dan mentioned there the the active ingredient so what actually is that in rhythmus alpha Hi, Eden. Yes, we're looking at alpha chlorolose, and that is a, a non-anticoagulant ingredient. Okay, so what, and what's the mode of action then? How does this actually work? That's right. It's very different, really, with it being a non-anticoagulant, so not what we would expect from the traditional anticoagulant rodenticides. Uh, alpha chlorolose works by slowing down the metabolic processes of mice. It acts on the nervous system. You then get a drop in brain activity, a slowing of the heart and respiration. The end result is the body temperature of the mouse drops, and the, the cause of death is, is hypothermia. And that temperature of the mouse can fall quite a lot. It can fall as much as, as 20 degrees C, so really quite effective in its mode of action. Okay, so what's the benefits of that then? Yeah, one of the benefits is, um, is the fast action, really. You get that rapid uh, result. The, in terms of how long does it take to act, then that sleep is induced prior to death, and those mice that have consumed the bait may be unconscious within 15 minutes of eating the bait, and that of course depends on the ambient temperature. Um, you know, traditionally, alpha chlorolose baits have been most effective below about sixteen degrees C. But I'll, um, I'll I'll turn to Dan actually for for a comment on that because there's something interesting about this particular product in terms of warmer temperatures. Yeah, look, I think we understand some of the history of alpha chlorolose, and we understand that maybe one of the challenges was we're getting it to work in in warmer areas and so therefore that was much more difficult because obviously if it's got to drop the, the the body temperature then it's more, more difficult to do that when it's warmer but we have done some research and quite a lot of trial work to kind of understand that and actually you know we did we've got some good trial work to show that at uh, warmer temperatures it is still effective now i'm not saying matt's absolutely right it, it really does work better when it's slightly cooler but actually probably the preconceived ideas of the temperatures that it needs to operate at were probably a little bit higher than what what most people thought so 
it does show there's slightly more wider window of um, application opportunity for pest controllers. Something else I just wanted to touch on um, following on from what Matt said as well was, I guess, with anticoagulants, as, as Matt said, that, that, that we're generally, and pest controllers are generally used to them being um, kind of 25 ppm or 50 ppm, so really, really low concentrations of active ingredient, where here you've got, you know, 3.996% or, you know, 4% um, active ingredient. So in, interestingly in alpha chlorolose, there's quite a lot more active ingredient than probably what pest controllers are used to. So probably just to f- maybe affects the palatability in the formulation a little bit in a slightly different way. But I just thought it was just an interesting point that, you know, as you change active ingredient, you're moving to uh, like a, a different type of product from the way that it's, that it's designed. So it just brings an extra dimension and just I always think that it's important for PCOs to really understand the active ingredients and then you can maybe better apply the product. Right, so it's not a case of by the time May comes around, the rigmasalpha needs to go back in the drawer until until winter. No, no, for sure not. I think it was interesting. We were talking earlier, maybe in the green room before we uh, came on air, and um, we were talking about application. And I think it's always really difficult to pinpoint exactly when is the right time for application. I think it always rests on the PCO having a really good understanding of the situation and then applying is kind of knowledge and methods to get the right result i think there's never a time for something or the right you know this right time to do most jobs but i think it's always important to take each job individually look at the circumstances look at all the surrounding issues and then make the appropriate decision i I never feel it's right to go well there's this time for this and this time for this i think it, it you know it's about the skill of the pest controller which is probably more important you, you you both keep mentioning mice. So is this solely for use on mice or, or will it work on rats too? No, absolutely. It's mice only. I think what is fundamentally important is that pest controllers stick to exactly what is on the label and mice is the only thing on the label. And so that is exactly what the that should not be applied for control of rats in any circumstances whatsoever. Yeah, I'll go one step further with um, with my technical head on. I'm feeling, feeling that way out today. <laughs> I'll, I'll go further and say um, house mice to be even more more specific, just to avoid that potential confusion perhaps for some technicians, not for wood mice slash field mice, absolutely only for, for house mice. And the fact that it's um, got the indoors only authorization is fine because a lot of house mouse activity is indoors anyway. And the, uh, the point that Dan made about rats Absolutely right. With um, with rats, because they're a larger animal than mice, they don't have the same surface area in relation to their volume from which to lose heat. So even if it was possible to use it against uh, the Norway rats, we wouldn't expect any kind of efficacy. Uh, but yeah, Dan nailed it. Follow the label. I just wanted to build on something that, that you said and, and, and Matt said, and it comes to the label. And uh, fortunately for me, I'm lucky enough to be one of the directors at, at Crew and also as part of the um, manufacturers and distributors team for the BPCA. And so we get a lot of questions that kind of come in from the field and very much it's always around the label. And a misnomer is that Syngenta write the label. Obviously, what we do, we submit the dossiers to CRD or HSE or whoever the regulator is. And then the label comes back with the, what we need to put on it. We don't, we don't write it ourselves. So the labels, we put them on, we take the text that comes and then we, we put them into the, the right format to um, put that in front of the pest controller. 
But I'll be honest, they're not always the easiest. They're not always the most easy to understand. They're not always so clear. They sometimes have to be written in such a way that it gives the right field of use and so therefore promotes some ambiguity. So I really would remind everyone because Matt, you know, I said mice and Matt absolutely correctly said it's house mice. And, and so therefore, I really urge every pest controller to really read the label thoroughly. That it's, you know, we try also especially with rhythmus alpha it's in a tube so we tried to put the whole of the label which is you know since we had a lot of the stewardship improvements there's a lot of information to go on the tube and so therefore it's written in really 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 small letters and to try and get all that information on it is worthwhile making sure that you just take time to really thoroughly read the label really understand all the bits and pieces that you know and if there's any areas that you don't know then it's really important to phone matt and his team at killgerm to really get a better understanding of what the label means because yeah actually you could end up doing something really you know kind of that you didn't mean to do just by glancing at the label quite quickly and not reading it very thoroughly and um and probably at at syngenta that is the question we probably get more than any other all year can you interpret the label? What does this mean? Does the label mean this? Does the label mean that? If you do this, does the label mean that you can do that? And and sometimes we have to go back to CLD or HSE and ask them because it's not clear to us. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really important point uh, that, that Matt made that you know, we have to be exact with, with the way that we deal with it. Yeah, I think that's key about the label, to be honest. It, it's really easy to, to skim over it. And you know, we all do it with, with other things. But when it comes to when it comes to things where you're dealing with active ingredients, you know, you skimming over something, not noticing something, is it could really cost you in the in the long run if it comes back to bite you. Um, I'll come back to you, Dan, for this next one. How much rhythmus alpha do you actually need for the for a job? Um, well, so it's eight grams of paste in a tamper resistant bait box using the corking gun that's supplied. For me, I think the what I'd like to think is you use as little as possible. And I think uh, Matt will probably have some more kind of exact uh, ideas about maybe structuring it and how he thinks it should be done. But I think for me, it's about understanding the environment, using as little as possible to get the required results that you need. But eight grams of paste in a tamper-resistant bakes box is, is on the label. And uh, then it again relies on the kind of uh, PCO's judgment. But yeah, Matt's probably a better person to get the exact details on this. Yeah, that's it. I mean, um, just consulting a copy of the of the label, eight grams, as Dan has mentioned, per bait station, per bait box. And those bait boxes, it's recommended to place them two to three metres apart. And there's, there's some flexibility on the label as well that allows um, the folks doing the job to make their own their own interpretation. Those bait stations are placed three metres apart where there's low levels of activity and two metres apart where you've got that higher level of mass activity. So a more dense placement of bait stations at the, the higher levels. Um, I'll, I'll confess, actually, I've avoided using the word infestation. It's just the, the mood I'm in today. Um, <laughs> I pr- much prefer the word activity because, um, you know, th- thinking about mice in, um, I don't know, a bakery, is, is two mice an infestation? Is one mouse activity and what's tolerable and what's acceptable? For, for me, um, you end up splitting hairs, so I much prefer mm-hmm. the use of the, of the word activity. But I think that's a, that's a Murray Andersonism uh, floating around my brain. One that Dan and I will probably uh, pick over in the pub when we're allowed back out again. <laughs> Maybe we'll have better things to talk about. Let's, let's hope so. Life's, life's too short for that kind of conversation. <laughs> no, for sure, well, Matt. I think I think that's really important. And, and I think that, like I said earlier, that the, the label, you know, and the way that it's written is sometimes kind of difficult to, um, you know, 
people don't always agree with the way that it's done. So I think that's a really, really important point. Right. Well, I'll capitalise on on Matt being this way out today then, and I'll come to him with the next techie question. Um, Is there any known resistance to this? Really good timing to ask that question, Eden. There is a new updated version of the Redenside Resistance Action Group guidance on the on the internet it's on the there's a little mini rag site on the bpca website and their house mouse resistance guide was updated in january 2021 so as up to date as, as you like um towards the back of that document it's like um it's an appendix almost at a ready reckoner it lists different active ingredients and modes of action and then on the other side of it are recommendations about where and, and how best those ingredients work against particular strains of, of rats and mice in, in terms of resistance Thankfully, as far as alpha chlorolose goes, and uh, that's recommended for control of all strains of house mice in the UK. So with it being a non-anticoagulant, then we don't have those resistance concerns at the moment. So yeah, get yourself on the uh, on the website there and get that latest document just as a as a guide. And um, yeah, I'm sort of on one. You mentioned resistance, Eden, and something that I get asked about is um, resistance and tolerance. And people use these words kind of interchangeably, but they are that little bit different. Tolerance. And resistance, well, resistance is inherited, so it's genetic. Tolerance can develop in an individual temporarily, depending on what's going on. So, for example, with, with mice and alpha chlorolose, tolerance will be the ability of an animal to withstand the effect of a normally lethal dose by ingestion of increasingly large sublethal doses over a period of time. This is why alpha chlorolose is used for shorter periods. It's a quick clear-out short, sharp hit kind of products rather than baiting for longer periods of time. And if my um, explanation there was a bit uh, a bit rambling, it goes full circle back to the label and the label says bait should be laid for periods of at most seven to ten days. And again, full circle, back to following the label. Dan, anything to add? Uh, yeah, but it wasn't about mice. It was more about me thinking that uh, my tolerance to red wine over the lockdown periods probably <laughs> increased and developed. Uh, <laughs> whereas probably uh, as you know, um, my genetic resistance to red wine, especially in the early days, wasn't great. But um, my tolerance has definitely improved. Although me and Matt said we might ch- you know try and work on that in the pub. But <laughs> I think that yeah, look, I, I think it's a really interesting conversation around those things and i think some of these kind of terms and phrases are really really interesting to kind of chew over on a podcast like this because i think that it's nice to be able to kind of think and kind of little think laterally about how some of these terms are used so uh, no no really important point and one that probably you know we all we all discuss in the office but probably don't get enough chance to discuss with customers so so dan where is this actually best used i know that this can come down to opinion but with your syngenta head on where is this best used? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's about opinion. I didn't come into uh, the pest control business, you know, as from a pest controller. I, I was essentially uh, an agronomist and worked um, looking at um, pest and disease control in sports turf and you know football stadiums and golf courses. And as a gro- an agronomist. I think it's exactly the same as being a you know, field biologist or somebody or going in and having a look 
at where you want to treat. I think you go in, you assess the surroundings, you really think about where the risk is, what the problems are, what things you have to mitigate, look at all the surrounding issues, and then make a bespoke decision every single time based on everything that you know. And the more you know, the better decision you can make. So I always think it's really difficult to say best used or or not best used. I think it's understand as much as you can, do as much research as you can, and then make the right decision based on the risk assessment. However, I guess regarding alpha chlorolose, or especially Rhythmus Alpha, two of the key points are that it works very quickly. And for an alpha chlorolose formulation, it's it's very palatable. Now, I think that was one thing that Syngenta worked really, really hard on. I think historically, one of the kind of negative aspects around alpha chlorolose was the palatability because we discussed earlier that you know it's four percent amount of ai and so if you have quite a high amount of poison within the formulation the likelihood is it's not going to be very palatable so i think when you start comparing it with a traditional anticoagulant that we that we're used to it won't be as palatable as those but as a palate in terms of overall palatability with this mode of action that we work really hard on the formulation to get it to be as palatable as possible. So I think if you look at the palatability and and the speed, I just think that then it's using, thinking about those two aspects that might influence where you put it, how you use it. I think the other point for me is that it really should be used as part of an integrated pest management. It's not about, I'll put it here and hopefully that will deal with it. I think in some circumstances, you have to look longer term and you think about, okay, this is going to be a longer term solution. So where does it fit as part of a programmed approach? How do we minimize the amount of chemical we're using? How do we get the quickest result that we want? And how do we do that in an integrated approach that means it's good for the customer and it's also good for the environment and, and, it, and, it's, and it works efficiently for you? I think it's a really difficult answer to give you something specific, which is clearly what I haven't done, but maybe Matt's got a much better way of kind of tying all my nonsense into a kind of nice, neat bundle. Yeah, I think you'll get best results therefore when mice are feeding in cool conditions, and that's the that's the overall point. But I take Dan's uh, information there about some of the Syngenta work that's shown some high mortality rates still been achieved at the at the higher temperatures. I think one sentence to to sum it up really is um, it's good to use alpha chlorolose when uh, you need to be killing large numbers of mice in a short time, and that could be before the use of anticoagulants. Should you then need to clear the remainder of the infestation? Infestation. There's the word. Oh, I've used it, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, also from, from my side, I've spoke to, you know, a lot of the Kill Germ team, Tim and, and, and Lawrence, especially about this. And they've been great support in, in feeding back some information. I think they've pinpointed exactly what Matt said, where you can see a large amount of infestation and that you want to get in control really quickly and then put a longer term situation in place or solution in place. And so there, I really think that, uh, they've, they, you know, the team who out in the field has really kind of corroborated what, what Matt said from a technical point of view. So that, that is definitely a really kind of key point. And if you see that, then that's a good opportunity. Now we hear a lot about secondary poisoning whenever there is sort of a new rodenticide released. Um, is that as big of an issue here? Yeah, there's um, studies, Eden, about alpha chlorolose. And what we can say, it doesn't bioaccumulate in the body. And there seems to be, therefore, you know, very limited risks 
of any kind of secondary poisoning. A t- typical sort of technical answer for me. I'll, I'll never say I'll never say never. Um, <laughs> I'll always talk about limited risk and, and things like that. Um, but the key thing is it's not considered to be alpha chlorolose, not considered to be a, a PBT, which stands for persistent bioaccumulative and toxic substance. It doesn't have that classification. There are no cases on record of secondary poisoning to, to have occurred. And even having said that, I just don't want people to hear that and think they don't need to take care. You know, we still need to avoid that uncontrolled exposure by by following the label. I think also the very fact in that it's it's an indoor only product as well, then uh, that keeps the risks uh, really quite quite low there. I think the bottom line from the, what I take from the answers, all the answers that you've both given here, is read the label and use sort of discretion and common sense a bit, and look at it from a holistic point of view rather than this is what it says, this is exact. You've got to sort of allow for anomalies, really. Yeah, I, 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 just a couple of things, I think, from me. N- num- number one, I think what you said earlier about, you know, make sure you study the label and, and go with what's on the label. But then after that, it really is about having that kind of holistic view and maybe, you know, using your own real experience and judgment to work out the best time for the product. The more you know, the more you understand, then the better decisions you'll make. However, one thing I did want to add that probably we haven't covered is the fact that it is very fast and quick and different from second generation anticoagulants. So you might need to adjust your either your contract or your approach in terms of getting back to the site much more quickly. So Matt might want to say something on this as well, but the repeat visits probably need to come back the next day and immediately or, or much probably quicker with this product than maybe you would have allowed for the second generation. It is quick knockdown. You do get there fast, so it would be good to go back and clear up the site, probably check it 24 hours later. Just have a look at your strategy for the clear up and for the repeat visit and make sure that you adjust that based on the formulation and the active ingredient with uh, where it might be slightly different with a different type of product. Again, understand the active ingredient and then adjust your uh, methodology to account for that. I think that we, we've tried to make sure that, you know, you're going to get quick knockdown. You're going to get bits where, you know, where it's going to work very, very quickly. And I think from a customer point of view, they don't want to see kind of um, dead rodents, you know, at site potentially. And so therefore, because you're going to get this really quick kill and it's not a delayed response, you probably either need to communicate that to the customer, you know, but really go back and, and adjust your, your visit schedule just accordingly i think i think that's an important point and one we've tried to get across because i think when you change and move into different active ingredients you just need to understand kind of you know the way that they work and matt did a good job of explaining that earlier so how much rhythmus alpha does a mouse actually need for it to be a lethal dose yeah with it being alpha chlorolose then the, the lethal doses they're, they're absolutely body weight dependent just as an example a 25 gram lab mouse they'd normally need between 0.3 and and 0.5 grams of bait, so getting up to half a gram of bait. But what you often find is in in the wild, the wild type mice, you know, the real mice that we're encountering in problems, they they can be lighter, and so they can they can succumb to a dose of 0.2 grams, and that can be that can be one feed, so not, not much at all, quite potent, and then you get that that lethal dose. That's brilliant. Thank you to you both for joining me today. It's been really helpful, and um, again, shone light on a brand new product been brought to the market. So yeah, thank you. No, no problem either. It's always a pleasure to do the, the podcasts. And uh, yeah, look forward to the to the next one. Yeah, and from me, look, thanks very much for inviting us. It's a real pleasure to be asked and uh, look forward to another one soon. Thanks.
The basis prompt code you'll need for this episode of the Kill Gen podcast is RA-DM-0421. That's RA-DM-0421. For full instructions on how to claim points for listening to the Kill Gen podcast for both basis prompt and the BPCA, head back to either of the first two episodes of the Kill Gen podcast where I explain in full. At the bottom of the online form on the Kill Gen podcast website that you fill out for your basis prompt points, there is a space that you can comment um, with suggestions for future podcasts. Feel free to drop us that, tell us what you want to hear. Let us know if you liked the new format with three people or if you preferred it with just two. Give us your thoughts there or, or messages on social media. Speak to your local Killjoy area sales manager. It, it all gets back to me um, and it all goes to improving the podcast and giving the listener a better experience. But for now, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,